Thank you for joining us for Three Bees on the Law podcast, hosted by Trisha Barita, Camille Canali, and Susan Dawson. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Welcome to Three Bs on the Law. So we're so glad to have you back, and we're excited again to revisit the issue of OSHA. If you recall, in number seven episode, uh, season two, we were talking about OSHA and the guidance that they had dropped, you know, uh, late January 2021, talking about you know, the protections for workers, specifically mitigating the issues and preventing the spread of COVID-19 in the workplace. So when we were talking in that episode, we highlighted some of the major, you know, things that were in that piece of guidance, about 11 pages long, published on the OSHA website. And uh, there's some interesting things we discussed, but one of the things we wanted to save and, and revisit in another episode was the sort of return that worker that has been exposed to COVID or COVID individuals or tested positive or had symptoms. How do you get them back to work? What's OSHA's thoughts on that? So uh, Camille, uh, you want to start the discussion here? So sure. So there's really two different issues here. Um, someone who was exposed and has to quarantine, and then someone who actually had symptoms or tested positive for COVID and has to isolate. And the CDC and OSHA use those terms very specifically. Um, and there's different requirements for each. So I think, Tricia, maybe the easiest thing to do is I'll talk about uh, what needs to be done for isolation. And you can uh, help me out and talk about what they need to do to quarantine. Sounds good. Um, so for isolation, if they think they know they had COVID-19 and had symptoms, they can return to work at least 10 days since symptoms first appeared. So the 10 days is a minimum standard. It is not 10 days later they can come back to work. It is a minimum standard. And at least 24 hours uh, with no fever and without taking fever reducing medication. And that's an important one. So if two Tylenols reduces your fever, you still can't come back to work if you're spiking a fever after those Tylenols. And your other symptoms of COVID have to be improving. Uh, so the, the OSHA and the CDC both look at those things very specifically. And if you recall uh, last year, late last year, that was changed from 14 days down to 10 days but now they are kind of clarifying that it's at least 10 days um, for those symptoms, as I mentioned before. I'm not sure all the, I'm not sure all the press got that right. <laughs> when we saw the 10, <laughs> the 10 day press, we were all like, what? And then we were reading it. And those, uh, those of us that chose to go and read what it actually said, realized that's not exactly what CDC was saying, but it did get a little confusing, honestly, in the, in the 24 hour news cycle as to what the guidance was. Everyone was right. sort of like, yay, it's only 10 days now, but that's not actually what they said. And, you know, even OSHA and the CDC also say, you know, someone may need to stay in isolation for 20 days or more if they had very severe symptoms or they have other health issues uh, going along with that. So, you know, it, it's not as clean cut, I think, as employers want, you know, all employers like clean rules <laughs> and this one just isn't. I think, yeah, Camille, I, I found it super confusing when all of this came out because it was like, 
first of all, you're already stuck with the whole 10 day sort of symptomatic, even when it was 14 days. But when you certainly when you go down to whether or not they've stopped having symptoms, you're already relying on the employee to be the determining factor. I mean, they have to be honest with you that they don't have symptoms anymore, right? Otherwise, you know, you know, what is an employer to do in that situation? And so um, now you sort of see OSHA sort of, I think, you know, obviously they're not stepping into the CDC shoes. They're saying, we're, we're agreeing with the CDC. We think you should follow the CDC, but they summarize it in sort of a little, I think you, you would probably agree with me, a little easier to read fashion maybe than the, than the very, um, kind of complicated science uh, sort of language of the way the CDC approaches everything on their website. And, and it's summarized here pretty succinctly saying exactly what Camille said, but they also kind of talk about how, how healthcare providers, which CDC talks about, and the health departments, you know, can play a role as to whether or not these employees can come back at 10 days or possibly 20 days. And then the whole recognition of that people can test positive for up to like three months um, is one of the reasons they, you know, relying on testing to return someone to work is, is something that's been discouraged. Right. And that's a really great point, Trisha, um, that I kind of want to emphasize is that a lot of states and local health departments have stricter rules even than uh, the federal OSHA guidelines and the CDC guidelines. So make sure that you are checking with your local guidelines as well. And if you have questions, you can call your local health department. Yeah, they love that. Like they're, <laughs> I mean, see some states, you know, they're giving, they're handing out advice, you know, they're saying what they think. And, you know, certainly in some of these industries where they're running into a lot of workers that are being exposed for whatever reason. And then, you know, it, I think at least in Texas, you know, I think they've been, been trying to help those employers out because it is a little confusing. And, and what they acknowledge here in this guidance is that you can rely on the health department because in theory, at least, uh, that you're supposed to sort of understand that these guidelines from the health department are based on looking at the local area and what the exposure is. And, and, you know, cause every, every state and, and jurisdiction has experienced, you know, different waves of, you know, higher infections, uh, and other, and other states. So, um, you know, we like the CDC cause it is sort of the top authority right there. And OSHA certainly backing that up. But the local health departments have been recognized by both OSHA and CDC as authorities, as well as the healthcare provider. If you can get a doctor to say someone can come back to work, you're pretty much gold. I think we've seen that um, on OSHA, CDC, and almost all the health departments uh, websites. Right, but that's been a different. That has been a challenge during COVID, as a lot of people don't want to leave to go to the doctor. They're afraid to go to the doctor because that's where sick people go, and so they don't want to be exposed. Uh, to people in the waiting room. And so we're finding a lot of people just aren't going to the doctor. Were the doctors maybe hesitant? I mean, to give that recommendation, because one of the things that, you know, uh, most lawyers recognize uh, with clients, uh, certainly like Camille and I, when you do a, a deposition or you put them up on the stand in a witness stand, you know, the, the information that you get uh, from your client, you know, um, you know, has, May, may be lacking in some of the details that you need in order to make decisions. And that happens certainly with doctors all the time where they ask the patient things, you know, trying to figure out whether or not they could return to work, whether they have certain symptoms. And if, if the historian, your, your, you know, your, your patient, when the doctor's talking to them, doesn't give the right information, the doctor may be hesitant to return them back to work because they're not quite sure whether or not they still might expose other individuals. Certainly if you have a household of family members 
that all have COVID and the, you know, one individual is the first person that got COVID, but they're still living in the house with the other individuals that are experiencing symptoms. You know, the science hasn't been clear on that. And I think physicians would be hesitant to sort of call it, you know? So I think that's why also why I think, in my opinion, I think that uh, the doctors have been hesitant to sort of give those return to work notices if, if you can even get into a doctor. Yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, one way or the other. I just haven't had much experience with people having doctor's notes. It just hasn't been seen. People are generally returned to work after COVID without them. But this leads us to a great segue because not only do we have this isolation if someone actually had COVID, but we have this issue with quarantining if someone has been exposed. Yeah, so the quarantining issue is similar to what, you know, we've, we've known for quite a while, you know, there's still that six foot, um, you know, if you're within six foot of someone who has COVID-19 for a total of 15 minutes or more within the 24 hour period. Now remember that's, you know, cumulative. So it can be three minutes here, you know, five minutes here. If it all adds up to 15 minutes over the 24 hour period, then technically, um, and it's, it's starting with that one individual that they were around within two days before illness onset. Uh, so if the person was uh, experiencing symptoms, you go back two days, about 48 hours before that. Um, and if you were around that individual during that time period for that length of time, then you would be considered to be exposed according to the CDC website. So, and OSHA backs that up. So, you know, um, the other sort of discussion that they talk about and, and more succinct terms, I think you could go all over the CDC website and got a lot of this, but OSHA summarizes it real, you know, real, uh, succinctly here saying, you know, additional people that would be exposed include, you know, people that are providing care at a home to someone who's sick with COVID. Uh, if you have direct physical contact with them, like hugging or kissing, you're sharing eating or drinking utensils with a person who has COVID or, you know, or a COVID individual sneezed, coughed, or somehow got respiratory droplets on you. So um, they, they also cite again, those local public health authorities um, to determine you know, quarantine issues. So you can get help from the health department on those issues as well. So, um, but when you're quarantining, if, if any of these uh, items for your employees has occurred when you're talking to them, you know, especially if they come into work and they say, hey, people at home are sick with COVID, you know, then they should probably not be at work, right? And so you're going to need to quarantine them, even though they may not be experiencing those symptoms. And this is all something that we've known for a while, but it's nice to see that OSHA is not de derailing and going into some other facet and they are sort of following the CDC guidelines. So they're still going with that, you know, stay home for 14 days after the last contact of a COVID-19 um, positive individual and then watch for fever and symptoms to the extent possible. Right. And I think that that, uh, that guidance really hasn't changed uh, much since the start this 14 days. Uh, and, you know, the face coverings, my hope is, at least at the office or at the place of employment, is preventing anyone from sneezing or coughing or getting respiratory droplets on other people. <laughs> my hope is that's not a problem. Um, but it can happen at home, obviously. You know, if kids are sick or whatever, it does happen. So uh, I think that kind of covers it, Tricia. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know... Uh... It, it's good to kind of see what OSHA is saying, but at the same time, you remember, you know, in this guidance overall, and if you go back to that episode seven in season two, we talk a little bit more how OSHA is sort of, you know, I think stretching their legs, getting a little bit closer into saying, okay, we're going to be looking closer and enforcing all these sort of COVID-19 protections at the federal level. 
So uh, we'll be staying tuned because we we do expect them to continue to put out more information and guidance and possibly more information once the, the vaccine is out there and there's more science about it, we'll be seeing things. Because right now they're still requiring individuals that get the vaccine to wear masks. But, um, you know, uh, CDC sort of gone a different way with that. So we'll see how it sort of all plays out. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. But also, you know, it, it's important to remember to check those local rules you know, OSHA is investigating complaints and they're taking it seriously. So you want to get ahead of it and be, make sure that you are complying with your local state and health rules and regulations, as well as OSHA or California. I know has Cal OSHA, uh, its own separate uh, beast out here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when, when an employee complains that some of these issues aren't being, you know, followed or they report an employee, you do, you should take it seriously. So you have those retaliation issues with OSHA. So, uh, I, and so I think that's a wrap, Camille. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Three Bs on the Law. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast of Three Bs on the Law. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. We also welcome any comments. If you'd like to get in touch with us or suggest a future topic, you can email us at 3-T-H-R-E-E-B-S-ON-THE-LAW at gmail.com. And because we're lawyers, we need to remind you that this podcast is not meant to provide you with legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.